Welcome to the final episode of the Pursue Your Spark podcast in 2020. And I'm your host, Heike Yates. What a year it's been. We started out in March with the COVID pandemic, and we're still in the midst of it. And currently, as I'm recording this episode, it is December, and we're waiting for vaccines to be released to help all of us dealing with this big mess the pandemic created this year. And I know, just like I have been affected, so have you, the people you love. And all we want to make sure is that everybody is stays safe, stays healthy, and is masked up. But not only that, we had a big Black Lives Matters movement dealing with another aspect of our life this year that is super important. And when we're looking at this year, I know many of us, and that includes me, thinks, thank God this year is over. There were many positive things, I think, that this year provided for us. And that means it forced us to slow down and take a look at how we lived our life in the past. It literally put the brakes on and said, wait a minute, let's see how we did things, and if they actually benefited our health. Many of us have been super stressed before, super involved with work, driving to work, which of course fell away through COVID because we're all working from home. Dealing with that stress has fallen away. Yes, it's been replaced by the fear of COVID and what is going to happen to everybody, but we had to slow down, all of us. Most of us started cooking at home and making delicious, healthy recipes, living a slower life. And I think we all needed that to take a look at how we're doing things and how we might change things going forward in our lives and the people that are involved with us and how we do business and Today's episode, I thought, was perfect, and I invited my friend Angie to talk about changing your thoughts and changing behaviors. What we think affects our behaviors, and she's an integrative whole-person healthcare specialist. And when you're looking at this kind of care, you're looking at the whole body, your thoughts, your nutrition, exercise and possible supplements to support your health. And you'll find out how Angie's love for her son had her take a new look at healthcare here in the U.S. and how the healthcare system can provide better care for its patients and its people. But there are little steps that you can take today to change your thoughts to live a better life that she is sharing with us today. So let's dive in and meet Angie. Hi there, you're listening to the Pursue Your Spark podcast. I'm your host and fitness warrior, Heike Yates. And on this show, we empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength with sound fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies. Our guests on the show, share their honest stories so that you'll have the courage to take action, knowing that you're not alone in your struggles. Today's guest is Dr. Angela McConnell. She's the owner and CEO of Q Integrative Healthcare Consulting. She served over 22 years in the U.S. military, active duty and reserve in both the enlisted ranks and officer corps. In 2015, she founded and is currently president and CEO of the Northern Virginia Veterans Association, NOVA, providing comprehensive services to the underserved veteran population. She continues her academic impact in integrative medicine as an adjunct assistant professor at George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Science. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hi, Heike. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. And it's one fun way to see each other off the salsa dance floor. 
I know, I know, but I'm missing that dance floor so much. Oh my, it's probably the biggest thing I miss out of all of this. I know we we've danced for so many years for so long, and then I switched to tango. But I love the salsa scene, and I and that's how we met. It is, it is so many so many years ago, and and I do love the tango too. I'm just waiting to get that perfect partner to learn the tango with. It, that's a commitment. The tango, Argentine tango, is a commitment. So I, I need to be ready for that. That is true, and you need a good partner because otherwise it can be really frustrating. <laughs> So now about you, how did you get started in the military and what drew you to the military? Oh, wow. Well, uh, part of it was I was always kind of a tomboy anyway. I had two older brothers, so I was always rough and tumble and, you know, playing with the soldiers in the sand and that kind of thing. And I think the other piece of it was I knew I wanted an education. At the time, I wanted to become a veterinarian. And um, the only way I was going to do that is if I could, you know, have the money to go to school on my own. And the Army was the best avenue for me to make that happen. So I was um, looking at multiple branches, and the Army just spoke to me. I grew up, you know, sleeping in tents and hiking with um, backpacks on. So I thought that would be a fun fit. Um, and I just kind of just rolled in um, to, the, to the Army in 1987 as an E1, and that's, that started my entire military career. What is an E1? An E1 is a private, the, the very lowest ranking individual in the Army. So private, an E is for enlisted, private E1. So you have one little stripe on your shirt. Uh-huh. So were you out rucking? Oh, yeah. Yes. There's, um, so in boot camp, I was in boot camp, um, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, there was a lot of rucking, um, combat boots, heavy rucksacks. Uh, you had very intense training in the heat. Um, boot camp was a was a very very strenuous time. It really kind of it kind of separates um, the soldiers there who's going to make it, who's not going to make it. It was, it was probably one of the hardest um, things I've been through outside of officers candidate school um, training, which is kind of similar. But as you're going into the officers corps, um, it's a it's a little bit of a different feel, but a very very similar you know intensity. Yeah. So you studied veterinary, become a veterinarian first, and and then what what ended up happening? Yeah. So I never did um, take that track. That's what I had wanted to do initially. I mean, ever since I was a little little girl, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. But when I got into the army, I was really I did extremely well on my testing, and they wanted to put me in biomedical research. So I ended up at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, which is a research center, was a research center. And um, my second tour, about two years later, was at the Uniformed Services University, which is the medical school for military medicine. Uh, so Walter Reed is here in Washington, D.C., right? Correct. Walter Reed um, moved from Silver Springs. Now it's actually located in Bethesda. So it kind of co-located with the Navy Hospital. It's the Walter Reed so oh, I don't even know the name, but yeah. Yeah. What did you find so interesting about that path? Um, about the about the path. Well, it was it was an enormous um, challenge. It was a lot of responsibility at a very young age. I was also going to um, college at night and weekend, so just just taking on the responsibilities. I was an E1 when I, you know, when I first went in, but by the time I got to the Uniformed Services University two years later, I'd risen through the ranks to E5, and that's a non-commissioned officer. So within the enlisted rank, I was like a supervisor, basically. So I was supervising other soldiers and civilians and working with medical doctors and research investigators. Uh, it was just an extreme amount of responsibility, and I was in a biohazard facility, so there were many, many precautions that had to take place. I just, I think I was drawn to the the innovative investigative piece of all of that just always researching and learning something new like leading very leading edge medicine things that we do now routinely we were researching back in 1987 what would be one of those things like routinely like angioplasty where they run um like uh they run a 
I guess, a sort of a tube up through your femoral artery and your leg all the way up into your heart to clear blockages in the vessels. So that was perfected um, when I was, I was literally doing that work with the investigators. So, Oh, yeah, I've heard about those. They kind of make me a little bit shiver. It's like, oh, yeah, they're, they're digging all the way up to the heart. I've heard of those. Yes, yes. It's just like so, so many incredible uh, medical innovations um, happening. And I just felt like I was like right there leading edge. Um, hypobaric chamber treatments was another thing that we were um, studying and researching. I mean, I just the list goes on. I just can't even begin to, you know, name the hundreds of things that we, you know, looked at and I supported in the military. Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting because it's so different to become a veterinarian and then you research all these cool procedures that help people live better lives or find diseases. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I was, I was in the active army for about five years. And then when I left that, I went and worked for the food and drug administration. So I can continue that path for a while longer. Is that when you became a integrative health specialist? No, um, that was, oh my gosh, that was years later. So, so my, my path was, um, so at this point I'm out of active, out of active army and, um, in the inactive army and working at the food and drug administration. So I was managing a bio level two, bio level three, um, research facility for the FDA up in Laurel, Maryland. Um, I was doing that for two years and at some point it's like, I felt like I need to make a change. And I wanted to actually look at veterinary school again. So I got out of the FDA and moved to North Carolina, where I decided to go into the Army National Guard and get my commission, which means you have to go through another 14 months of training to become a commissioned officer um, in the Army National Guard. So that so now I was like out of the regular Army into the Army National Guard and looking to um, earn my commission as an officer O one. So like E one is enlisted O one is officer, but also the very lowest level. Like I was starting all over again, but as an officer, you know, this is so interesting. I've had several, um, ladies on the show. They're U S um, military and they're all jet fighters and they were educating us on all the jet machines and what's flying around and what things are called. And, and here with, with you, with the military, it's, oh, it's very different. Again, it's, it's very interesting to learn what this all means because these things, we hear those things like on TV or we read them in the news or whatever, and you, you don't never know what that actually means. So this yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. It can be very, um, probably very interesting for civilians that just are not, they don't have any association, you know, with, with the U.S. military and just the nomenclature and the language that's used and just the, the vast amount of and types of jobs within the military branches. Yeah, that's very true. So you went on to become an O-1. Yes, O-1, an officer. So I went on and after 14 months of ex extremely hard training at the North Carolina National Guard in um, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I got my commission and I branched intelligence. So I got out of the biomedical research um, area as an enlisted um, NCO and got into intelligence with the Army National Guard. What does that mean? Intelligence? Intelligence is a field where we're doing everything to determine how to protect our troops from the enemy. So we are looking and studying all facets of, of our enemy and determining ways that they could get in and do any kind of damage to our personnel, our equipment, our cybersecurity, kind of across the board. So you really have to be an expert on all the, all the different facets of what makes you know, our, our enemies military run, basically, and, and civilian side, too. So intelligence um, I did for a long time, and specifically counterterrorism for a long time as well. well. So all your background in in the medical field that you've had up till then and all this testing you did came in very handy because I'm sure it, it helped support some of the things that you had to research or do in that new position. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, biological, nuclear, chemical welfare, uh, warfare came into play. So that was, um, that was a facet. There was many other facets, but I could definitely use that training and experience that I, that I received as an enlisted um, NCO, most, most definitely. And, and just to make things a little more convoluted with my military past, um, after I was in the Army National Guard for about a year or so, um, I, I met my husband at the time, and we decided we wanted to have children. He was an active duty officer, so we thought it would not be good for both of us to be in the military at the same time and potentially both be deployed and having to leave our kids at the same time. So I was going to get out of the military, kind of retire my commission, and people that I talked to started guiding me towards the Air Force, and they said, why don't you just go into the Air Force Reserve? Um, they said it's it's much more a lenient schedule. You don't have to drill every weekend. You can work with the Air Force, um, and you could become an individual mobilization augmentee and IMA and support different units. I'm going forward. So I looked into that, and after about a year, it took me a year to transfer from the Army into the Air Force Reserve. Um, but I, I ended up in the Air Force Reserve, I think, in 2000. So started a, a whole nother path and a whole different um, military service branch that I had no experience with. They call it go going from green to blue. So the green uniform to the Air Force blue uniform. That is so interesting because I've learned so much from our fighter ladies that I've interviewed. And so suddenly you're back in with them. And I was like, this is cool. Girls that fly fighters or fighter girls. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, that was actually my first love. When I was um, in the officer's corps, before I branched intelligence, I really wanted to fly helicopters, the Apache um, fighter helicopters. But when I went to get my flight physical, they said my arms were an inch too short. So I failed the flight physical. I could not fly Apaches because my arms were apparently an inch too short. So I was, I was devastated because I really wanted to do that. And I envy those ladies that are, are jet fighters. I'd love to talk to them one day. So it's like, yes, they will soon be on, on the podcast. So like, they're really amazing. But let's get into what we're talking today is uh, change your thoughts and change behaviors. So when Let's jump forward into your integrative medicine, whole person health consultant business. When did that start? But I probably have to ask, when did you leave the Army at this point? Well, um, it all kind of, it's, it's still going on at the same time. So I'm in the Air Force Reserve at this point. It's about 2000. Um, I've, I've had one child and he's almost two years old, and this child was just diagnosed with a genetic medical condition called X-linked hypophosphatemia. And his diagnosis was the start of my work and my growth in integrative whole person care. So what? it was because of my son, Blake, who was diagnosed with this very rare genetic condition um, that I started paying very close attention to how he had multiple specialists from nephrologists working on the kidneys to endocrinologists working on all the organs and the hormones to orthopedic surgeons because this um, um, dramatically impacted his bones all throughout his body. He had very soft bones because he couldn't absorb phosphorus. Uh, working with nutritionists, primary care doctors, uh, geneticists, and the list goes on of his specialists that my son needed. And what I realized very quickly was that these specialists were not talking with one another. They weren't coming up with a common treatment plan. Um, some were giving contradictory um, treatment advice um, for my son. Um, and it just, it was it was very baffling as a mom of a, a pediatric, you know, patient to not have everybody on the same sheet of music and not, and most of them not even familiar with X-linked hypophosphatemia. So I had to be the expert in this very rare condition for my son. And, um, and that really just spurred my interest, like how, how we did healthcare here in America. I will say that uh, at some, in 2002, after my son was diagnosed, and I had another baby too at that time, about two years later, I had my, my second son, we, we did a deployment to Germany, and they do medicine a lot different, and I will say at that time, a lot more holistically. So it gave me a greater understanding of how we could do medicine better in the U.S., 
And that's when I started studying integrative medicine, whole person care. They used to call some of the components complementary and alternative medicine, and now it's more integrative medicine with complementary therapies. And the idea is whole person care. You look at the whole person, you look at all the aspects of the body, you look at how everything from how your thoughts affect what's going on in your systems to your nutrition, to your activity, and then the pharmaceuticals or the supplements that you have to take to maintain whatever deficiencies you might have in your system. So that, so I would, I have to thank my, thank my son. Um, not that he chose this, but it was because of him and my love for him that really wanted me to change how we did healthcare here in America. Now, what is the condition that Blake had and what are the side effects? Because some people may know, I've never heard of it, but some people on the show uh, of the listeners may know this condition or have heard it, but can't associate it with anything. What is it? Okay, so it's X-linked hypophosphatemia. So the X is indicating that it should have come from from my X chromosome as the female. However, um, I, I was not a carrier because I was tested as well, and they determined it was a spontaneous mutation. Um, and even though it did not come from me, Blake now carries it, and he could pass it on to his daughters because it is an X-linked um, defect, basically, in your genetic code. And what happens is uh, the phosphorus, that your body takes in is not metabolized and it, and it just filters kind of straight through the kidneys. So your bones don't receive that phosphorus and they become very soft. So Blake manifested in his body, very soft bones. So his lower legs were very bowed. His upper femur legs were very bowed. Um, he had hear some hearing loss because the bones of his ears um, were not developing correctly. He had a lot of teeth and root issues because his jaws could not support um, the healthy root structure. Just, just multiple things going on with the bones in his body. Just every, every bone could potentially be impacted by this. Um, Blake's, Blake ended up having probably an average of one surgery a year minimum from the age of, I guess, three, starting with his teeth surgeries um, all the way up to the age of 18. So he is, um, he's quite the trooper. He's had his legs broken and reset. He has plates and rods in his legs, um, multiple, multiple procedures on, on this child. And, and I'm sitting here just making sure everything goes off as, you know, as easily as possible for Blake and that all, all his specialists know exactly what this condition is. And I was looking at the foremost experts in this field. I was doing my own research and I was actually having Blake involved in some of the research to move the treatment and the progress of, you know, this disease hopefully forward. And your second son is totally fine. Yes. Second son, Brandon, is totally fine. Um, he had his own little issues going on, but he's a whole different story, but, um, he's, uh, now he's great. He has no, you know, no X linked. And again, it was just a spontaneous, you know, kind of freak of nature that Blake, you know, got, got this. And I, I guess if you're, um, kind of a, a person who believes that, you know, things happen for a reason, um, this was, this was kind of an indicator to me that this happened for a reason. It happened to Blake for a reason. And I will say Blake is doing great now. He's at Virginia Tech. And all of this has motivated his love for wanting to work in mechanical bioengineering. And he's now developing robotics and prosthetics um, for people that are amputees and have, you know, leg, leg issues and arm issues. And it's just kind of, it may, I think it's propelled him into this whole other field of wanting to help others so they don't suffer like he has. Yes. You know what? Uh, we've had an, uh, another interview with one of my guests who ran into a similar situ situation with the healthcare system. And, and in her episode here on the podcast, we talked about how the healthcare system literally let her down and let her almost die if she wouldn't have stepped up to the plate herself to do a similar situation of a whole person health care approach because she ran into the same thing as you mentioned oh one doctor says this the other one says this the next person says no we're not going to do that and on and on and on so from your 
position as the expert in integrative whole person medicine. When somebody comes to you, what do you do with them? Well, I don't work with individuals per se. I work with physicians and clinical infrastructure. So just let me take a step back. So one of the challenges with doctors that um, want to practice whole person medicine is that, first of all, physicians are not trained in medical school to work with other physicians and come up with, you know, a joint treatment approach for their patients. They're not trained to do that as well. They're, they're trained to do bits and pieces of that, but they don't really have an electronic health record system to support that. And they usually don't have an infrastructure within their clinical setting to, to support that as well. What that means is that you, you literally have to work in time where the, the providers are talking together at the same time and they're communicating and they're communicating with the patient and understanding the patient needs and the patient's family's needs around, you know, all, all of the treatment. Um, I, I am really happy to say that uh, there are, are multiple now oncology clinics that are created um, with the integrative whole person care approach now and we are creating integrative health records so we can do this easier but it's going to be it's going to be a long haul and it's really to no fault of the physicians they just they were not trained that way we don't have an insurance um, an insurance approach to where they reimburse for the amount of time that physicians really need to spend with the patient in America, it's mainly a fee for service, which means that, you know, you'll go in for your 10 or 15 minute appointment and, and, and that's all you'll be seen. And cause that's all the doctors reimbursed for. They're not reimbursed. If you bring up, Hey, I, I have this issue or I have this other problem going on and, or maybe, Oh, I'm getting a divorce or my kid is going through this. The doctor doesn't have time to talk and really find out how whatever's going on is impacting their patient physically um, with their health and, you know, psychologically and emotionally too. And, and I think that's one of our biggest deficits here in America is that we're not giving the doctors that time and reimbursing for that time that they need to really understand what's going on with their patients. Mm -hmm. So first of all, not having the structure and two, not being reimbursed for the time that they need to really care for their patients and understand them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I also agree that in Europe, the healthcare is much more holistic than it is here. Here, it's very compartmentalized and very specialized, which is good at times. But at times, it's really in the way of, of the patient's care. Yes, I mean, it, that, that is true. We do need the expertise. We do need the specialists, but we need them to be talking to one another. And they're just not, they're just not trained in medical school um, to do that. Now, some residency programs are starting to adapt this whole person, you know, collaborative approach to patient care, but it's, it's up and coming. And that is actually one of the biggest reasons I wanted to go and, and teach at George Washington under their School of Medicine I'm hoping to get some of this information, integrative, you know, approaches to them at this level of their training, because as they're, you know, as they're learning and going through med medical school, that's the time you really want to talk about interdisciplinary care and collaborating, you know, with the patient, with multiple providers. And, and how do you do that practically? How do you do that and make it work? So um, it's a, it's been a fascinating journey. That's for sure. I can imagine. Now, let me ask you, what is neuroplasticity and why is it important? Oh, wow. This is one of my favorite subjects of all time. So I would say about 15 years ago, I really started looking at neurology and neuropsychology and how what you think impacts your brain and just everything from your habits to your behaviors and, and what we're finding now after like me of just kind of like this is like a hobby study of mine is that our brains and our neurons can literally change to where if we're feeling a certain way, we can practice feeling a different way. And after a period of time, we can stop an addiction or we could get out of a depression. So there's, so the neuroplasticity means that our, our neurons and our brain are malleable, that it can be changed and we can grow and we can learn new things and we can literally create different neuropathways in our brain 
um, associated with new and healthier habits and behaviors and thought pro um, thought processes. It's it's quite it's quite fascinating. I literally think it's the leading edge of medicine and how how we can become more healthy both physically and emotionally and psychologically once we realize that we have the power to be able to start shifting you know how we how we think and how we feel and literally creating you know new brain pathways it's quite fascinating yeah i would say that the in my from my perspective as a fitness and nutrition coach is i look at people and what they want to do something, but then there is an obstacle and they're, they're really not sure they should be doing this. And why am I doing this? Is this really good for me? Um, I will never succeed in this. So their thinking is in a already negative space before they even start or they start and then they go gung-ho and they go, this didn't work because they went all out. So how does that work with these kind of changes that you want to change me, start a new habit or change a bad habit? What, what would you have to do and, and how would you approach that? Well, let me just give uh, just a quick example of myself first and one of the, the biggest challenges I had. And I don't think I've ever really talked to anybody, at least haven't like gotten in a situation where this would be aired through a podcast. But I would wake up from a very young age, I would wake up in the morning with extreme anxiety, like heart palpitations and just feeling like I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to school later on. I didn't want to go to work. I just felt like this oppressive anxiety. And it took me years of my life and years of study and studying like neuropsychology and your body physiology and how it reacts to realize that in the morning when I was waking up, I would just have a rush of cortisol and adrenaline in my system because naturally when you start waking up in the morning your your body's going to just start waking up i had an overproduction of this cortisol and adrenaline in my system so i was thinking i, I was waking up with a lot of anxiety when i was just my body was just like super waking up and i was attributing it to oh well i have a test today or i had you know something going on and i i told myself that i had anxiety for years until I realized that my body was reacting somewhat normally like everyone else's, maybe a little hyper, but, but not overly. And as soon as I realized that this was a normal physiological process around waking up in the morning, I was able to change my thoughts from anxiety to excitement, basically. It was, it was literally that, that easy of a switch for me when I would wake up and I would feel the same things, my heart, my heart racing, and I would say, oh my gosh, what do I have to feel excited about today? What's going on? Because I know I don't have to call this anxiety anymore because that's not what it is. And I can, I can call it excitement and put a more positive spin on how I feel. And I literally shifted, you know, my habitual thought pro um, processes that have been going on probably for at least 25 years. So that was the awareness. You're talking about your, you know, your your clients and your, your fitness clients that you have coming in a, awareness of how they operate is probably the first step. Um, you probably have seen the obstacles that have popped up for different people, different reasons. Like they go too fast in the beginning and they burn themselves out. Um, they go and they don't get the results they want soon enough. Um, they're always going to throw up an excuse. Um, you can work with them and get them to realize that it is a, you know, it's a step-by-step -step process. And I'm sure, I'm, Heike, we've talked before. I know you do some of these things already, but the, the client has to engage and take on that responsibility of knowing that I, I will go three steps forward and know that tomorrow I may go two steps back. And they have to be okay with them. I would say we talked about three takeaways um, that I wanted to put out there to our audience. One of them is, give yourself a break. Know that, you know, you may go and lose 10 pounds in a month and then maybe gain back five, but that doesn't mean you need to quit. You may go out and run every day and injure your ankle and then now you can't do that. Then you shift gears and you do some other exercise. So you kind of have to have a game plan for plan B when things come up, but also just give yourself a break. I mean, 
I, I think we're so hard on ourselves and we're such a goal oriented culture. It's like, Oh, I got to make this and do this and feel this way and be this way. It's like, we're all human too. And I always say progress is just keep going forward that next step forward. Um, and even if that's three steps forward and two steps back the next day, you know, you may not go any steps and that's okay. So that's, that's one of my biggest, my, one of my biggest pieces with people is just, as long as you're moving forward, that's great. Even if you're standing still, you're still not, you know, going all the way back to square one. And, and some people may have to go back to square one because of illness or injury or things that happen. And, and that's all right, too. So we just have to, I think, live, uh, learn to, to give ourselves a bit of a break from time to time on this uh, health and fitness and quality of life um, upward trend that we're all trying to stay on. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, give yourself some grace and don't be so hard on yourself with anything in life. Yeah. Like you said, you're not, you're not going back to where you started. You may go back a little bit from all the steps you've already taken, but you, you took action. You did something about whatever about is, and that is highly to be commended. So as you're changing your thinking to that, uh, what are some of the strategies you would say somebody sh would do? You have to focus on how you feel when you take action. Like you take action and you're feeling really good. You have to focus on those good feelings and you have to come back to them. So if you're, let's say you're getting up in the morning and you're able to get on your shoes and walk a mile. I mean, your goal may be to run the Army 10 miler, but right now just getting on your shoes and getting out the door in the morning and walking a mile, that's an accomplishment. And you just have to give yourself so much credit for that, for that one piece, and just, just really embody and feel how good that feels to get out and do that. Uh, you, we have to focus on these good feelings that, you know, that come through us when we take action and we feel good and develop these, you know, good habits, these good feeling habits. And on the other side of that, if things happen, like you go home, like later and eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's um, because you just start craving it, the sugar or, or whatever, um, we have to then not completely, you know, beat ourselves up over that either. We need to do something. We need to, again, take positive action, even if it's to get on the floor then and stretch a little bit and then focus on, okay, this is good. I'm doing something really good for myself, really good for my body and my mind. And don't think about the pint that you just ate because that's not going to do anything but torture you and make you suffer. And I honestly don't believe we're on this earth to suffer. I think we're on this earth to enjoy each other and our planet and, you know, be as healthy and as happy as possible. I agree with you. And just thinking of the pint of ice cream makes me like, mm, that'd be really delicious right now. I know, I know. It's, and, uh, you know, one of the things I say, Angie, is like, if you do something, let's use the ice cream as example, you eat the pint, I'm like, own it. You ate it, no big deal. It's like, God's not going to strike down on you or you're not going to get 10 pounds or whatever you could imagine. You just ate it, own it, be done yep. with it. Yep. Own it. And then just let it go because you can't make that your slippery slope into five days of eating, you know, horribly and gaining that 10 pounds back. Yeah. Just, you just got to own it and then step away and do some positive action and then honestly, just focus on that really good feeling that you have. Like, yes, I did something today. Mm -hmm. So give yourself grace was one. What would be a, a second one? This, this, yeah, this one we just talked about. Focus on the good feeling when you take positive action on anything in your life. Even if it's like, you know, not reacting to someone who triggers you in a negative way. Even if you like take a deep breath and say, no, I'm having a good day. I'm not going to let that impact me. I'm going to focus on something I like and feel good about something else and ignore the other stuff. So just learning to focus on the good stuff um, is critical. I think sometimes there's so much, you know, bad news and bad information and things to feel horrible about. We get stuck in these just, just these complex, you know, complex, I guess, 
bogs of negativity to, that we can't, we can't like dig ourselves out of. And if you can stay out of that in the first place, we'll all be better off. And we can focus on good stuff just as much as we can focus on bad stuff. And if that means turning off the news, I suggest turning off the news. Oh, I'm a big, well, I was told that I'm off the news. My husband said it causes so much anxiety and he can, he can tell when I watch the news because I sit across from him listening to whatever I'm listening to and he goes, turn off the news. I'm like, why? He says, are you listening to the news? I'm like, yes. And he says, I can feel it from across the room that you are very upset right now. And so I've been mostly banned, quote unquote, from the news from, by my husband. And I feel so much better. Like, it's unbelievable. Yes, yes. Case in point. So there you are. So you know, you've gone through it. I mean, I, I, once I got out of the military, I really stopped listening to a lot of the news. I will update myself on the things that are important to me here locally. But other than that, um, I, I do not watch the news i mean I'll, I'll keep up with some of the health statistics and things like that but there's just there's absolutely no reason for me to watch it i can't do anything about most of the things they talk about and most of the things they talk about are negative and i i do not make room in my life for that kind of stuff so i would say that would be you know just whatever brings you negativity um try to shift and look at things that do not so that will be our number three, ban negativity, I would say. Um, yes, ban negativity. And I guess right along with that, which was going to be my number three as well, would find, find the fun and the laughter. That would be like kind of my final takeaway. Find the fun and the things that literally make you laugh out loud. Because if you can find that and get to that, you know, during the day, that could be calling like one of your best friends or looking at a funny video or listen to a stand-up comedian or whatever it is to bring that fun into your life, playing games with your kids, you know, goofing around with your partner, you know, anything like that, leaving fun little notes, find the fun in your life and learn to play a little bit more. And, oh, geez, things will just roll, roll along so much nicer. I agree. I totally agree. I don't want to watch any movies that stress me out, although I do some because we have the Black Lives Matters movement. And I do need to educate myself a lot more on that issue, a lot more of things that I didn't know, even though I lived in the States for 30 years. And um, I am, I am uh, very interested to see that many other people who've been born here don't know what I don't know. So it's a very good time to educate yourself and now listen to books and watch movies. But I have to really sparingly dish them out so they don't overtake my sadness or frustration or whatever emotion comes along with that situation yeah yeah and and just remember with every horrible situation that you may learn about along these lines and i've learned a lot over the years living here as well and being involved at you know what little you know part that i have been involved with we can always take these horrible situations and we can pivot and we can look at like what we're trying to do now look at how to make them better, real change, systemic change, and sustainable, and sustainable change, then that goes across the board. Um, Black lives matter, all lives matter. What can we do to you know, progress you know, equity and equality um, in America? So just take that and put it towards positive fuel. Yeah, yeah. So how can get somebody started on their path to changing and changing their thoughts so they change their behavior. Oh my goodness! There's there's so many different um, different resources, educational resources. If they want to see a specialist, they can always look for an integrative healthcare provider. Um, they could look for a health coach. They can. Um, I would say if they have insurance, work with their primary care doctor and just ask, ask their primary care doctor for a resource with regards to, you know, changing, you know, changing their habits, changing their behaviors, changing, you know, how they think about some. That might be working with a psychologist as well or, or a social worker. Um, but I'm really finding that health coaches are doing a fabulous job and life coaches along those lines as, as well. And then but if I said today, Angie, if I said today, okay, I'm listening to this podcast 
she's talking about all these people, so I got to find them first. But what can I do right this minute after I, I click off that podcast that Angie talked about? What can I do right now? I would say turn on Tony Robbins uh, on YouTube. Find Tony Robbins. He's a motivational speaker. And just listen to some of the things he says about how to change how you think and feel and just your potential as a human being in your lifetime. If you want to listen to one really neat person, he's one. And I'm sure YouTube after that will find a whole bunch of other ones for you to look at and listen to. But you could just go into YouTube and, and just type, you know, better thoughts, better feelings, and things will come up. The thing is, it's just not one, you know, one thing fits all. It, you have to, you know, find an educational resource or a mentor that, that kind of resonates with you. And, I, and you may have to check around a few of them and really listen to them or start reading some books around it as well. So there's, we ha we're so lucky, Heike, because we have so much information available at our fingertips. I would say go into YouTube and look at a couple five-minute videos and see which, which ones really resonate and motivate you and that you can understand because there's all levels of medical training and psychology training and just very layman, hey, dude, just do this. If you're thinking this, then start thinking this. So there's very basic to, you know, high-level, you know, academic stuff out there that we have access to. I love that, hey, dude. <laughs> But whatever floats everybody's boat, we all have our different preferences. Now, yeah, I, have a, we do. I have a couple of quickfire questions. You ready? Yes. Okay. What inspires you to do what you do? What inspires me to do what I do? It's because I know that we are on this earth to live our best life and our best quality of life. And I am inspired because... I do not want to see suffering in the world and within individuals. And I know that there are ways that we can change that. And because I know this, I'm inspired to educate and get the information out there and let people know that there, there is hope and there are ways to feel better and to come together as a community and, and just really feel wonderful and make positive changes that it just daily, it, the quality of life piece, knowing that's, possible for all of us inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing. What does it mean for you to stay healthy? For me to stay healthy, it's, it's a, kind of a multifaceted approach. It's my emotional and psychological health. It's my, my physical health. And it's my relationship health as well. So I know physically I need to do things like do some cardiovascular exercise, walk, run, bike, I know I need to meditate and take care of my, you know, emotional and psychological um, insides and have that balance as part of it. And I also know that I need to focus on my relationships, my family relationships, my, my business relationships, my friendships, and, and make sure they're healthy and I'm paying attention and that I have my priorities straight going forward. So it's kind of that three-pronged approach for me to be healthy. And I just like trying new things um, to, you know, to stay that way, whether that's a new sport or a new activity or learning about a new person or having a new mentor for the week and some different, you know, podcasts that I listen to. So I like to mix it up and that, that helps me stay healthy. What do you hope to achieve by sharing your story with my audience? I hope that your audience will understand that they have so much positive potential and there are really no limits to what we all can do, either as individuals and coming together as a community. And going back to those takeaways, it starts with one step at a time. Find out what you want to do and just start making those steps towards it and ban negativity and focus on the positive as much as possible. Yes, we all get down sometimes. We get that. Allow yourself to feel down every now and again, but don't stay stuck there. Get yourself out of there and, and 
learn to find that fun, find that fun in life, play a little bit more, play a little bit more with other people. I think we'll be so much better off. I really want your audience to know that, hey, we're here to have fun and enjoy life and live our best lives. And, and that's really what I want for, for all of them. And hopefully they'll take that away and they'll share it with other people and it'll just keep growing. Final question. Where can my audience learn more about you and connect with you? Oh, yes. So they can, um, they can learn more about me and some of the things I do through my YouTube channel. And that's Dr. Ange Mack, D-R-A-N-G-M-A-C. If they want to learn more about integrative healthcare specifically, they can go to Q Integrative Healthcare, which is my website. So I have those two options for integrative healthcare. And of course, uh, the Northern Virginia Veterans Association is my nonprofit that we help um, the most vulnerable veterans here in Virginia. I know we haven't talked about them. When did you start this? I founded Nova Veterans Association in January of 2015. What was the trigger? Just knowing that veterans um, have to go through a, an extreme convoluted process to understand what their benefits and resources are. I wanted them to have like a one-stop shop where they could get information around all the different potential services like healthcare or legal or housing education you know employment there was just no one place for them to find all this out in a couple years after running it i really just focused our team on helping those most vulnerable so the elderly those with health challenges those with disabilities that really could not make their way through a, a online application and struggled with in many many areas of their life so that's a, another big passion of mine. Thank you for sharing that because that was part of my questions for you today. And I'm glad we came up again because I was very curious what it's more specifically about, how we can reach out. And of course, all the links that we mentioned today will be in the show notes. So for you guys, you can easily reach out to Angie. But we also want you to reach out to us on Instagram at Dr. Angie Mack and Heike Yates or Pursue Your Spark podcast. Let us know how this episode helped you change your thoughts to change your behaviors. We can't wait to hear from you. So with that, Angie, thanks for being here today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking and sharing my stories and I look forward to seeing more from you on Insta and Twitter and Facebook as we go forward. You better believe it. <laughs> so this is it for 2020 and I'm looking forward to seeing you again January 7th with another episode on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, Happy holidays wherever you are in the world and I can't wait to have you back here on the podcast. Ciao!